0: Howdy folks, Lou Weiss here again at uh, Jacket Media Manufacturing Talk Radio, and all the rest of our properties that you see behind me. Uh, check them out, they're really interesting shows. Today we have Mr. Chris, Chris Keel, I almost screwed it up. Mr. Chris Keel is going to talk about the um, uh, Credit Managers uh, Association report, and uh, It's looking hot. Your words, not mine. Go for it, Chris. Very very good.
1: Okay. Well, actually, we are continuing to see really good numbers. Uh, For those of you who are not familiar with the Credit Manager's Index or the Purchasing Manager's Index or any of those same tools, just a quick primer reminder to everybody else, these are monthly surveys. Where We're trying to get an idea of what's happening in sectors that are more truthful than others. I mean, the trouble with surveys is often that people try to manipulate them or they don't know enough to really answer correctly. The power of the purchasing managers index for years has been that you asked a purchasing manager a very simple question. Are you buying more, buying less, buying the same? And with that data, you could track what was going on with manufacturing very accurately. The credit managers index quite literally copied the whole methodology from the PMI. It was always open source. And so they took advantage of it. What we do is ask credit managers what's happening in their world. And the credit manager frequently does what they do a little before the purchasing manager does what they do. So the credit manager is the one that's going to determine if you're going to get credit, um, how long, 90, 120, 180 days. If you don't pay your bills, it's the credit manager that comes after you and puts you into collections or forces you into bankruptcy. So it's a sort of a, a way of tracking what's happening in the very early stages of business behavior and development. So same tool, basically very similar to the PMI. Anything over 50 is considered growth. Anything under 50 and that diffusion index is considered contraction. So if we have numbers that are in the 50s, we're very excited. The numbers we're seeing right now are in the 60s and even 70s, which is unusually high. Exactly. They've come down just slightly from their highs a month or so ago, but they're still very high, particularly the ones that we would refer to as the favorables. We divide the index into two sectors. One is favorables. The other is unfavorables, oddly enough. The favorables are things like sales, dollar collections, applications for credit, and amount of credit extended, things that make credit managers happy. The unfavorables are bankruptcies, disputes, accounts out for collections, slow pays, the sorts of things that make credit managers unhappy. So all of the favorables now are in the 60s. They have been for five and a half, six straight months. The unfavorables have also been almost universally in that 50 category, but one category has dropped out of the 50s and is now sitting in the high 40s. So that's the one thing we're watching a little bit carefully because we see a pattern, particularly with the unfavorables. The very first thing to create problems are slow pays. The very first sign that you've got a problem with your creditor is that they are not paying you on time. They may be exerting their influence. They may be saying, hey, look, you need me more than I need you. I'll pay you when I'm good and ready. This is called Walmart tactics. You know, Walmart is going to pay you when Walmart feels like it. It may be 12 years from now. It may be 100 years from now. What are you going to do about it? I'm Walmart. But there are others that they're watching their cash flow. They're a little bit concerned about where their business is going. And so they start to stall. What concerns the credit manager is that slow pays become disputes and disputes become accounts out for collection and accounts out for collection eventually become bankruptcies. So it's sort of like, okay, we don't want to see distress at this level because it can sometimes lead in a bad direction. Right now, Those numbers are really close to 50. They're like 49 point something. So it's not alarm bells ringing, but the credit managers are like, okay, the party is beginning to wind down, at least for some. And most of what we've seen distress in has been retail and a little bit on some of the manufacturing side, particularly those that have been caught up in all these shortages. So if you're in the auto sector, if you're in avionics and you've gotten caught up in the chip shortage, well, you're doing okay, except that you can't finish anything. And if you can't finish anything, you can't sell it. And if you can't sell it, you can't make any money. So the auto sector is like, yeah, we'd be doing really good if we could actually finish Mm -hmm. the car. Um, But it's sitting in the lot and we can't finish it.
0: So I would like to make one comment. Yes. the comments made by our guests are that of their own opinion <laughs> and not of Jacket Media Co. and Manufacturing Talk Radio. You,
1: you just don't want to lose your Sam's Club card. I know. I that's, know right. So. <laughs> that's right. That's
0: uh, right. I don't think I've ever been in a Sam's Club. But that's, besides the point. that's my that's my wife's uh, thing. Yeah, but you um, know,
1: you never know when you need seven hundred and fifty cans of cream corn. You know, I mean, this is
0: true. This is true. (laughs) Which you have to package yourself.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a big vat of cream corn, and you, yeah.
0: Well, anyway, so taking this, uh, taking this further, um, sounds like things are really going going well yeah uh, you did mention that there was one uh, uh aspect that is in now in the high forties mm-hmm. I don't know if I heard it right or if you mentioned it which that's sector the slow is pace it? the slow yep, it's pace. the
1: it's the slow pace it's the it's the it's the accounts beyond terms where you told somebody you've got ninety days to pay and ninety days comes and they haven't paid you. And in most cases, what you're going to find is the company says, look, I'm a little late. I'll pay you in another month. And the credit managers say, that's fine. You know, don't worry about it. But where they get nervous is when, you know, they gave you 90 days and it's now been 180. Uh, And they're like, yeah, are you planning to pay or not? And it just makes them a little bit nervous. It's not an emergency, but it's and it often depends like i said on the size of the client because there are certain creditors that are like well yeah you know i know we're behind big deal you know we're huge we're important to you you know deal with it we'll pay you in a month or two so and credit managers know that but then they also have companies that they don't know as well and it's like okay you're already a slow pay do I need to start watching you and do I need to start credit collection sooner than later? So the credit manager is always Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, it's, it's the personalities. First off, they're overwhelmingly middle-aged women and they're either the personality of aunt B from Mayberry, or they're your third grade teacher that you lived in mortal fear of. Um, You know, it's one or the other. (laughs)
0: So uh, you did mention that uh, the you have no uh, uh, handle on if somebody wants to pay you late, you pay, they pay late. You know, so what's your problem? You know, mm-hmm. I need Walmart like I need. A yeah, pain in the neck. Uh, right. Bottom line is that, um, and, and in in my business, all metals and forge group. Um, if I have orders to ship you and you're now at 60 days or 90 days in arrears, um, well, I don't know if I'm going to be shipping you.
1: Yep, exactly. I mean, so it, the relationship matters a lot and where the credit manager has to make some judgment calls is that they may have someone who is, you know, 50, 60% of their business. And so, they start off by saying, hey, you're not paying me. I'm going to cut you off. And then their boss shows up and says, hi, they're 60% of our business. If you cut these people off, we are out of business. Knock it off. And the credit manager is, OK, fine. And then about three months later, the boss comes back and says, how did these people get so far behind? You <laughs> you told me to, uh, sir. And so <laughs> it's that's why credit managers are they shake a lot um they drink heavily i mean it's yeah, it's, yeah.
0: <laughs> so chris i'm just wondering with all of the shortages <clears throat> and difficulties in the supply chain mm-hmm. is that kind of is are the slope pays a ripple effect of that as we currently see it
1: yep very definitely because you've got it hitting you from three different directions number one You've got a lot of companies that have plenty of demand. They've got the product ready for delivery, except for that part, like the auto industry. The auto industry is sitting there going, we have people that are driving halfway across the country to pick up a truck because they want that truck. If we had those stupid chips, we could finish off these cars and sell them in two days. The other aspect of the supply chain is that you've got uh, deliveries coming, you don't know when. You know, so you're, you're wanting to pay and consume. But it's like, well, I don't really know. It's going to be anywhere between next week or 30, 50. I don't, I don't have a clue what's happening on the supply chain. So, yeah, a lot of this is still supply chain related. and And it's part of the reason that the credit managers in general have been a lot more generous than usual. They're not pushing this into collections and disputes yet. Uh, They understand what the the issue is. They're just trying to be, they want to keep the business relationship alive, but they also have to protect their own cash flow and their own profits and their own revenues. And it just, it's all a matter of who's driving a particular relationship. If you have a small supplier, well, the people that they're supplying to probably have the leverage. That if you have a large supplier, the people they're supplying to, the supplier has the leverage.
0: That being said, let's talk about the chips again. Mm -hmm. Why are we having a chip shortage?
1: There are three reasons, and some of them are pretty old. Um, The biggest concern, biggest issue is that we long ago, kind of outsource chip production and chip production is largely labor intensive to a degree, not as much now as it used to be, but we all remember, or most of us remember these little film clips that we would see of Chinese shops and Taiwanese shops. And you had rows and rows of women in white coats putting chips together. It was a very labor intensive business. Now, a lot of that's done now robotically and through automation, but it didn't used to be. And when it was labor intensive, we shipped it all overseas. So the majority of the chip makers are China, Taiwan, Korea, Japan, elsewhere. The second big problem was that we now use a lot more chips. I mean, everything and you can possibly think of has a computer chip in it. Um, It's it used to be like computers had computer chips. Now there's a computer in your toaster. There's a computer in your glasses. There's, I mean, you probably swallow 10 computers a day. Um, and, you you know, it's just, there's chips and everything. And third rationale is that it became a matter of who was paying the most. The auto sector is behind the eight ball trying to get chips because the electronics sector said, we'll pay you whatever you want and we can upsell to cover the cost of those chips and so if you're putting together gaming systems you know gamers are like i don't care man i just need the new game you know it's like is it 25 times what it was yesterday oh dude (laughs) so um you know it's it's car buyers on the other hand are like oh, come on, man, the car is already 40 grand. Uh, You know, don't tell me it has to be 50 grand because you don't have enough chips. So it's it's a demand and supply issue and it's a cost issue. And long term solution is that we produce more of them here. Uh, And that's kind of what the government is trying to encourage. We've never really had industrial policy in the U.S., but this would be a step in that direction, saying we, for national security reasons, we need to produce chips here. Another complicating factor is that one of the biggest chip makers in the world is Chinese, and we have tariffs against their chips. So
0: isn't that clever of us?
1: Very. We're really good at that. Um, you know, whenever we're angry at somebody, we hit ourselves right in the mouth. There you um you know. <laughs> it's kind of like, take that.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm uh, not sure, I'm not sure that, uh, and, and Tim and I have talked about this many times on the show. I'm not sure that everyone understands what the tariff issue mm-hmm. is about. Yep. So I'm going to introduce it, and then you can carry the ball on it because you're so much more <laughs> well educated than I. When we instituted a tariff against China for, let's say, steel, and we have to pay it, it's not really a tariff against China. It's Mm-mm. a tariff against you and I and Tim and all the manufacturers who need product that comes from right. a foreign country. And there's a lot of product that we need from foreign countries. We can't make everything. Right. So let's charge the American public and the American manufacturing mm-hmm. industry so that they won't buy those parts from let's say China, which by the way, only represents 11% of the total imports to this country. So part of this China thing is a myth in the first place. So there you go. You've got the ball.
1: There you go. The trouble with tariffs, the logic behind a tariff is that you're trying to make a given product more expensive than an alternative. So if you put a tariff on a Chinese product, that would seem to make a product from Japan or Vietnam or Nigeria or Nebraska cheaper. The challenge, however, is that there's several. Number one is there may not be an alternative product. So what you put a tariff on isn't made anywhere else. And you can only get it from the country that you're putting the tariff on. Number two, you're assuming that that country then does nothing to react and when we put the tariffs on china or anybody else for example when we were putting the tariffs on chinese steel the chinese simply shipped steel to another country had it slightly modified in malaysia or indonesia or whatever else and then shipped to the united states so it didn't accomplish what we hoped to accomplish or They simply absorb the price. Um, Mm. And one of the challenges of putting tariffs on countries like China, China is dominated by state-run enterprises. So in this country, if you end up charging too little for your product and you don't make enough money or profits, you go out of business. In China, if you charge too little and don't make enough revenue or profits, you turn to the government and say, hey, I need some more money. How come, well, they've got this tariff on me and I lowered my prices and so you pay up. And so the Chinese government says, well, that's a shame, here you go. Five or six, ten, twenty, thirty, fifty million. is that enough? Sure. You, know, oh, wow. how, how you, you can't compete in, in, that, in that manner. I mean, the bottom line is that if we want to compete against other countries, which of course we do, we have to get better at helping our businesses export as opposed to limiting what we import and and then that trade deficit gets reduced kind of more legitimately a classic example and i don't mean to go on it forever but years ago angela merkel flew to indonesia she's the chancellor of germany and the Indonesians were asking for a lot of money from Germany. So when she came to Indonesia, she starts to get off the plane, notices that they have showed up to pick her up in a Nissan Infinity, whatever car. <laughs> she stops and she says, get that stinking Japanese car away from me. If you want my money, show up in a Mercedes and you'll notice that I have 20 German businessmen with me. If they're not smiling at the end of this meeting, you're getting nothing from me. Nothing. If you want money from Germany, by God, you'd better buy from Germany. We don't do that. You know, we need a president that starts to show up. Trump didn't do it. Bush didn't do it. Obama didn't do it. Biden's not doing it. We need a president that just basically behaves like the Germans and says, you want our money? Buy our stuff. (laughs)
0: There you go. There you go so why have we uh, are we consistently uh, looking to charge tariffs which is really on the american mm-hmm. public as opposed to maybe a quota you can't import unless you fit the quota right now, and again, we do
1: a little bit of that and the tr- the challenge with quotas me, has me always did. been yeah, a wee bit. We've, the challenge with quotas is that you end up with companies not really sure if they're going to be able to get access to something, that their planning gets thrown off. Companies get around quotas, again, the same way that you get around a tariff. Like we have a quota in China. Okay, fine. Do we have a quota on Vietnam? How about Laos? How about Taiwan? How about Kiribati? How about some island you've never even heard of? And it's like, well... There's ways to get around quotas. Honestly, just from an an economic perspective, it is very, very difficult to restrict imports because you've got the combined mass of 350 million Americans saying, I want that and I want it now. And, And you're telling them you can't have it. Oh yeah? Well, guess what? You can't have political power either. Um, and I'm going to take it away from you. Countries have learned that it's better to fight with a good offense than a good defense. Um, so, yep, I'm going to keep on importing stuff, but I'm also going to export like crazy. Exports make up 55% of Germany's GDP. It's 15% of ours. The Germans are really aggressive about, about exporting, and And they do everything in their power, including really clever things like, hi, as the German government, why don't we train people to actually work in the German manufacturing sector? Because then we could be competitive rather than in the United States going, I know what we need to be competitive on the global market are people with degrees in film criticism. (laughs) We graduated 10,000 people with advanced degrees in film criticism last year. 10,000 in a recession.
0: And our movies the theaters were closed.
1: And their movie theaters were closed. So I'm personally waiting for the film critic in a yellow jacket that gets added to the, you know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and the it, hanging around. <laughs>
1: exactly. It's like, we'll look for the manufacturing part of, of the movie. <laughs>
0: a, I, I am hopeful. Uh, this is purely a guess on my part, and I've been spouting this now for uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks, that there, there are going to be negotiations, and they're actually going on right now between the U.S. and China about mm-hmm. trade and so on and so forth. I believe that President Biden is holding the tariff as a bargaining chip.
1: Could very well be. That's what they usually are.
0: And I mean if you do the this, tariffs are and then are political we'll do away with the tariff, or we'll lower the tariff.
1: And right now the biggest political or diplomatic initiative is with Europe because under Trump we put tariffs on everybody. We put them on our enemies, we put them on our friends, and generally speaking, you tariff those that you don't like and, and you give breaks to people that you do. At the G seven meeting Biden made the initiative that we're going to start dropping the tariffs against the Europeans. They responded by dropping tariffs against us. The idea is like, OK, let's both of us combine to compete with China, that if we can't make this product in the U.S. at a competitive price, well, maybe you guys can't. I mean, the Europeans have, have certain advantages. They've got low labor cost countries in Europe. You've got Italy and you've got Spain and you've got Greece. Those countries can compete. And, and so part of the conversation was, okay, let's work together. Maybe it's helped get a plant built in Southern Italy, which helps the Italians, but it also means a cheaper product that can compete with a Chinese product. Those are the type of things I think that are happening diplomatically, particularly if you look at the people that are on his team, because they've been advocating that for years.
0: Well, Chris, we appreciate your comments. I just want, as we wrap up for you to give our listeners a sense of what does the balance of 2021 look like? Uh, Our our feeling is that it's going to be a good year for 2021. Uh, maybe the bets are off the table for 2022.
1: Now I think we're in pretty good shape for next year too. The prediction is that we're probably going to be around 6.5 to 7.5% growth this year. Now, obviously that's coming off an incredibly bad year. So you almost have to discount it a little bit. But next year, the prediction is 4.5, which is still a point or two higher than we normally grow. And by the time we get into 2023, we're back to normal. We're back to two, two and a half percent growth. That's pretty good because that's, that's basically saying that you're going to keep the growth through the year, but it's not going to get so carried away that inflation kills us next year. A lot of the inflation right now is essentially the Fed keeps calling it transitory because it's, it's commodities based more than it is anything else. The commodity inflation has been excess demand hitting inadequate supply. Once the suppliers catch up, then you start to see inflation decline. And all of the commodities in the last month or two have come down. They haven't come down to where they were, you know, so they're still much higher. But like mm-hmm. lumber prices are down 65% from what they were a month and a half ago. The problem was they went up 190% before that, Um, you know, so it's it's like it's it's better, but it's still bad, but it's heading in the right direction. And that's that's the assumption. So by the time we get into next year, we're still growing pretty fast, but we're not maybe growing at that rapid inflation clip.
0: To change the subject just for a moment, and I know we're in our wrap up phase But I've been wondering about the following. Gas prices. Mm -hmm. Gas prices are going up. Uh, The summertime, people are now going out. Uh, They're ripping off their mask and saying, you know, I ain't going to wear it anymore. And they go out and they fill up the car and it costs them 40, 50 bucks a tank to get their car filled up. And I'm watching these... TV commercials for the electric cars. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, this car, you can get 200 200 mile uh, range. This car, you can get 400 mile range. Nobody's talking about how much a charge costs. Mm -hmm. Do you know that answer?
1: It depends a lot on where you are in the country, but that's a big issue because not only is it the cost of charging, it's the fact that if you really somehow were able to replace all the fossil fuel cars, which isn't going to happen anytime soon, the amount of extra power generation that would be required would drive your utility bills higher because you're going to have to build a lot more power plants. What the the oil majors are waiting for, the big producers around the world, they're waiting to see what happens in the fall. They've seen the demand come back. They've seen people traveling for the summer vacation. What they haven't seen is the work commute. And they know that that is the number one way we spend our fuel money is commuting back and forth to work. If we are still working remotely in the fall, which now looks less and less likely, then we won't consume as much. The oil producers, whether it's here or OPEC or Russia, are watching that closely. And if they see that people are going back to those commuting behaviors, they'll increase production. Right now, they're like, well, until we see people commuting, we don't think you're gonna consume like you used to. And once we see that, then we'll, we'll ramp it up. The Saudis just decided not to increase oil production again. But they already did it earlier this summer. So they're, they're getting back closer to where they've been before. We have ramped up production. Um, we're still not sure what the Russians are going to do. But whatever it is, it'll be dastardly and we won't like it. Um,
0: so. so back to my question. How much does it cost to charge an electric car?
1: Again, it depends on where you are in the country. Because, I'm in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, in New Jersey, literally, you'd have to figure out what your kilowatt per hour charge is. I mean, you'd have to look at your own utility bills. If you're in some place where your utility bills are high, charging your car is going to be expensive. The best way to look at it, I think, is that charging a car is essentially the equivalent, as I've read, of running your air conditioning full tilt for three days. So you look at what you're currently paying for your utilities and say, okay, add in um, maybe half again what I'm already paying. And, and that tells you, because even when you go out to charge the car on the open road, some places are being very magnanimous and saying, go ahead and charge for free. Others have meters on it. It depends on, on what they're trying to push. In many cities, they're trying to get people to use electric cars, so they're subsidizing the charge. Um, or if you charge at a hotel, the hotel has built it into your bill. Um, so it's it's the biggest problem is only 2.3 percent of the of the vehicles on the road in the U.S. are electric. So
0: so you are being like a politician right now. You have deflected my question.
1: Nope. I'm basically, I'm, I'm telling you, if I told you a price, somebody going to, oh, that's not what it is in Idaho, you jerk. And it's like, well, I, you know, I can go to, I, if you've got plenty of time, there are 50 states, there are probably 25 or 30,000 cities. I could go down the list, but in my community alone, Kansas city, there are 35 different prices for charging your car from zero to, I think the highest one somebody said was that it was charging something like $25 a minute to charge. And if you've got a fast charger, you could probably charge in 10 minutes. And so you're talking about paying 200 bucks to charge a car
0: i don't think so the, oh. <laughs> I, I i think that this show is about over <laughs> <laughs>
1: well it's 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 entirely on you know tony says well, why would i pay that much to charge my car because it's a special tesla place and they bring you your cappuccino and they give you a back rub and all this stuff and it's like it's anything else it's a gimmick i mean it's like asking somebody how much does it cost for a haircut <laughs> you know, it depends. Is it Madame Fufu or Joe? Um, some people in, don't in, need in, haircuts. Yeah, there you go. You know, in my case, it's free. Um, I just, you know, all I have to do is do a quick buff. You know, so. <laughs> well, uh,
0: Chris, your your humor surpasses you as it always does. <laughs> Uh, we appreciate you being here and giving us uh, insight into what's going on. I know we don't always talk about the uh, credit manager's uh, uh, full scope, 30, 40 minute <laughs> conversation. We get into all kinds of other things. I do appreciate you giving me a clue sure. as what how much it should cost to fill up an electric car. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to do some research and I'm going to get back to you next month about that.
1: Excellent. And while you're at it, you can look up like natural gas and hydrogen and all the other alternatives. You know, I can hardly wait for the hydrogen cars. I think it's time to have the Hindenburg fleet. Um, so. <laughs>
0: all righty. Uh, thanks for being here and uh, great report. And it's always a pleasure sp- speaking with you, and uh, having you good on the show. Uh, enjoy,
1: enjoy your day, and and uh, I'm glad to see that everybody came away from the Fourth of July with all their digits. So that's good.
0: Yes, uh, I've got uh, three left. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> You look like my shop teacher from high school. Um, So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, folks, uh, thanks for joining us this week. And you'll see behind me are our four podcasts and our two monthly series. And uh, come join us and uh, uh, listen to our, our stories and the the intellect of the people that really know what's going on, even though they don't always know the, the charge of a charge for (laughs) that being said, uh, thanks for being here, Chris. It's always a thanks. Very good.